Al Jazeera podcast. It's a hot summer night in the suburbs of Las Vegas, Nevada. It's late, 10 p.m. And police have descended on a house in the city of Henderson to execute a search warrant. They're searching for anything they can find in relation to a murder investigation. Police warning people to come out with their hands up as they execute a search warrant at a home in the Las Vegas area. A murder from nearly 30 years ago. Police are once again looking into the murder of rapper Tupac Shakur. The cold case from 1996 was recently reopened. Police will now present evidence to a grand jury in the case of the killing of Tupac Shakur, one of the world's most influential rap artists, known for his hits like Keep Your Head Up. It's a murder that shocked the world of music. 25-year-old Tupac Shakur shot four times inside this BMW in this intersection near the Las Vegas Strip. I believe that I'm a natural-born leader. I, I, don't, I don't really take orders. I can take orders because I'm a good soldier, but I like to give orders. I like to say, you know, I like to follow my own heart, but I don't like to control other people. Right. I think everybody should be the leader. So why exactly are police reviving the case? And why has it never been resolved? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm talking to Santi Elijah Hawley, who wrote the book on Tupac Shakur and his revolutionary roots. It's called An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. I'm a journalist and author in Los Angeles, California. Usually what I try to focus on is the intersection of art, culture, and activism and politics and how those things sort of inform each other. And so this book that I just published, An American Family, is sort of the result of that. So, Santi, Tupac Shakur, at least in the U.S., is a household name. He's sold more than 75 million records worldwide, even though his professional music career was only about five years. Many consider him one of the most influential rappers of all time. When did you first become a fan? Yeah, actually, back when he was still alive in the 90s, when I was... Uh, just a young man and just partying and just, I, you know, I, I took to his music because of the energy and because of the rawness and sincerity. It felt just exciting. You know, not until later, as I sort of embarked on this writing career and got older myself, and I started looking again at his lyrics and his interviews and sort of looking more deeply, and, and I realized just how intelligent he was and, and the things that he was talking about was actually deeper than I'd first you know, ever, ever understood when I first uh, became a fan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to really learn about how he was so knowledgeable about things like black liberation, police harassment, you know, income, uh, wealth inequality. Can you remind us of the time? Were rappers often talking about social inequality and the kinds of social issues that Tupac brought up in his songs? Not in the way that he was. You know, Tupac, he really spoke from the heart. He wasn't trying to, to to preach at anybody. He was just speaking what he saw around him. It was just, that's who he was. He was a young man who was very politically minded and socially conscious. 
but he's also a young man who liked to party and, you know, uh, and just do all those things. But that's what made him sincere is because he didn't apologize for either one. He didn't water down his message for his audience. He, he just spoke from the heart. So with a range of things from party anthems like California Love to social and political change and things like changes, can you talk about some of his songs for those people who may not be as familiar with his music? How did it run the gamut? Yeah, his debut album, Tupacalypse Now, really wanted to make a name for himself. And a lot of the songs on his debut record, there's songs like Trapped that deal with police harassment. And he was speaking to the sort of collective anger or rage against police harassment and police brutality. And then a, there's a later song which sort of came out posthumously, which he recorded before he died, obviously, it wasn't released until after he died, called Changes. Come on, come on. I see no changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to races. Which sort of looks at just society and how the community really is is struggling, but really, you know, it's we're up against something really something hard and strong, and we need to look to ourselves to to try to make those changes, as he says in that song. And so, in Tupac speaking to these, like nobody else is talking about police harassment in the community, striking back against police or against corrupt police officers. Like he's really, I mean, he's from the beginning he was he was talking on that kind of level. Mm-hmm. But then he was murdered, and and we never really got to see how far he was going to go with that. So take me back now to 1996. We're in Las Vegas, on the Vegas Strip. It's after a Mike Tyson match. And in a black BMW sits Tupac Shakur and Death Row Records founder Marion Suge Knight. And then shots are fired. Can you tell me what happened after? Yeah, well, it was chaotic, as you, you know, could imagine. I mean, just because it was Las Vegas Strip, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people all jammed in together, and so these shots ring out in the car next to. It was in a white Cadillac next to the black BMW, and after the shots ring out, Suge Knight, who's behind the wheel of the BMW. He just peels off, you know, he will, I mean, as, be- as best as he can, because there's so much traffic that he has, he has to drive over the median, do a U-turn to try to escape. Mm. But he's also been grazed in the head with a bullet. So it's just chaos. And he's trying to drive away to get away from the scene. Wow. Police surround him. Tupac is bleeding to death. But he's rushed to the, you know, emergency room hospital. His family comes to visit. He's on life support. He's really not responsive to vocal commands. Eventually, the decision was made September 13th, Friday, to take him off life support because he wasn't improving. He was just getting worse. And, you know, he was in a coma. So he didn't die immediately from the, the wounds, but he, he died almost a week later. Now, the murder, as we said, happened steps away from the Vegas Strip. Even if people have not been to it, they know it. The lights never go out. Back in 1996, police opened an investigation and no arrests were made. Now, this murder and the fact that no arrests have been made has been the subject of many theories. Chris Rock, the comedian, even made a joke about it in his stand-up routine. Yo, Tupac was gunned down on the Las Vegas Strip after a Mike Tyson fight. 
Now, how many witnesses do you need to see some sh before you arrest somebody? More people saw Tupac get shot than the last episode of Seinfeld. It's a pertinent question that was on a lot of people's minds and has been ever since. How do you make sense of what happened afterwards when it comes to that investigation and the lack of what came out of it? My opinion, my theory, the best I can explain it is the police never really took this seriously. Investigators never really took it seriously, partly because of who Tupac was and his long, outspoken feud rivalry with police officers. Hmm. And even with their excuse, you know, a lot of times it's been that people refuse to cooperate with them who don't want to talk to the police and like understand that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's hundreds of witnesses. It's It's the Vegas Strip. There's cameras everywhere. There are many witnesses. There are people who, you know, were willing to talk and they just never pursued these leads. When you say he was an outspoken critic of the police, and a lot of this might have to do with who he and his family are, can you tell me a little bit more about that, what you mean? Yeah, I mean, in his lyrics, as I said, and also in his interviews, he would speak out against police officers and and against police brutality. But aside from that, he also had his own personal run-ins with police officers, and notably, he shot two off-duty police officers in Atlanta once during a traffic stop, and he got away with it. Chakur went before the bench, accused of shooting and wounding two off-duty police officers during an argument on an Atlanta street. He was acquitted of those charges, but his, also his family was famous. I mean, the Shakur name, everything that the Shakur family did, it's a family thing to criticize and to condemn corrupt police officers. Mm-hmm. Not only was Tupac part of that and vocal against that, but his whole family was. You know, going back going back 50 years, his family has been calling out corrupt police officers and crooked police officers and crooked judges. That's just what they did as a family. That's who they were. Mm-hmm. And Tupac was just part of that tradition, part of that line, that lineage who, you know, who carried on that work. So why are police investigating this case now, 30 years later? That's after the break. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women, an unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Santich, to be clear, we still don't know who killed Tupac, right? We have a pretty good idea. You know, with with something like this, like, it's it's never been outright said in a conclusive way. But we have a pretty clear understanding of who it was. Uh, Yeah. The person who was allegedly who we believe was the shooter, he was shot to death himself in 1998, so really couldn't pursue. And that was just two years after Tupac was killed. So they really, you know, at this point, the person who we believe is the shooter has been long dead himself. So, Santi, most of what we've been talking about happened in 1996. 
Just last week, 30 years later, police got a warrant to search a house in Henderson, Nevada, belonging to Keefe D., whose legal name is Dwayne Keith Davis. So this search warrant was executed just miles from where Tupac was murdered at the home of a man named Dwayne Davis, who goes by Keefe D. Now, Davis has said he was in the white Cadillac with the suspected shooter and was even taken in for questioning back then. And that's all we know for now. But this isn't new information. So why do you think this is happening now? It is really bizarre. And there's not really a good answer mm-hmm. because, as you say, Keefe D., has all but confessed, no, he's literally confessed to being in the car when the shooting happened mm-hmm. and passing the gun to the alleged shooter. All the chicks was like, Tupac, Tupac, and he was like, hey, like a celebrity, like he was in the parade. He wouldn't even been out the window. We would have never seen him. Finally, Buster you pulled up. I was in the front seat. He's written a book, he's been on TV. You know, he's stated I was in the car, but he's never been arrested, charged. According to the warrant, police seized multiple items, including computers, storage devices, notes, photos, and other documentation detailing Keefe D's involvement with the Southside Compton Crips, a well-known LA gang. They confiscated bullets that you know may or may not match the bullets that killed Tupac. But yeah, the question is, why now? The best I can think of for now until more information comes out mm-hmm. is Tupac has been in the news a lot in sort of the public conversation again, especially these last two years of the documentary. There are books being published, including my book. Tupac just received his Hollywood Walk of Fame star, which was a big deal for Tupac fans. We're so honored to be able to continue his legacy with this ceremony today and place Tupac, his name, the legacy on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, y'all. And one thing I can think of is just like, they just are taking advantage of this moment to show, oh, we're still working on the case. It just feels like they just remembered <laughs> they had, they, that they had this, oh yeah, Tupac. Yeah, remember that case? <laughs> so that's, that's how it feels to me. So let's now talk a little bit more deeply on the people that made Tupac who Tupac was. He was more than just a rapper, and an actor. He came from a legacy of Black revolutionaries. The Black Panther Party has been depicted as a fringe separatist, even terrorists. Their ideas and community activism have been glossed over. Their work in the community on a grassroots level is often overlooked. In fact, they created a 10-point program for community empowerment. So as you said, they had a long history with the police in the U.S. Your book, traces the Shakur family lineage. How has this lineage manifested in Tupac's life and death? Yeah, he, so he was, I mean, being again, really with his birth. I mean, he was conceived while his mother, Afeni, was out on bail when she was a Black Panther, facing life in prison for conspiracy charges. There was a long and expensive trial in New York City in which all the defendants were eventually acquitted. Tupac was born only a month after Feeney was acquitted of these charges. Mm. So he, you know, he had that in him from the beginning. His, his first few years, he was surrounded by Black Panther veterans and elders and people who had survived, you know, this trial and also various re- repressive tactics that the, the state was really coming down hard on the Black Panthers. And so it was a very tumultuous time. 
You know, he was raised to be, to believe himself to be the black prince of the revolution is what his mother would told him. Somebody who was going to carry on the fight. My mother taught me how to be more international instead of being local. And I did get some principles from her that, that I always be with me. She taught me how to be community orientated. And that's what he really thought he was going to do, was use music as a vehicle to sort of, you know, carry on this, this fight. But he didn't have a lot of support from his elders, from his, his community. Uh, his mother was suffering from drug addiction at the time, and so he didn't really have her uh, there in the way that he needed her to be. So he looked more towards just people like his age who were, you know, selling drugs or this and that. Now, I was raised on like by a lot of street people. So of course my values are real street orientated, but that doesn't mean that I don't have any values or I don't have any morals, you know what I'm saying? So we became this sort of, you know, uh, mix of those two things of just what was going on in the black community in the 90s and also the like old revolution of his parents and his parents' generation. Those sort of became who he was. The, the, those both sides were in him at the time, but but yeah, that's, that's how he was raised, that's how he's viewed himself, and that was his birthright, really. Which helps explain then why so many people, people who you may not have imagined would be Tupac fans or fans of rap music, seem to be crushed by his death. Just like that, he's gone. Does that help explain for you why his death seemed to have made such an impact on people around the world? Yeah, exactly. We had such high expectations of him and we held him up because he was, you know, he was a spokesperson. We saw his mistakes, but he was sincere in those mistakes. But he just, he had so much promise in what he could have accomplished. And he already, he did so much in his very brief career, five years. He did so much and he made people think so deeply about things that they probably hadn't thought about a lot before. And then to be killed in such a, a way that just did not really befit who he was. It just seemed like we just couldn't believe it. And I think that's why a lot of people still don't believe it today, that he's even, you know, dead, is because we just cannot accept that he would die this way. So you mentioned that his death is such a large cultural conversation that it has sparked conspiracy theories about how he's still alive. What is it about his life or his death that has contributed to the outsizing of what could or didn't happen if he's alive, if he's not alive? We don't see that that often. Yeah, it's got to be something just about when you have a personality that is so outsized, such larger than life personality, and you just don't feel like that person can die. It's also... Another Shakur, another sort of renowned or infamous or famous Shakur, Asada Shakur, did go into exile in Cuba and has been living in Cuban exile for decades mm -hmm. uh, after escaping from prison in 1979. And I think people also think like, well, so maybe Tupac joined Asada in Cuba, but that's one of the conspiracy theories, which doesn't, which you know, it doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. why he would choose to do that, why he would choose to remain silent all this, after all this time. It was Tupac. You know, one thing about Tupac <laughs> is he loved to talk. He loved to be the center of attention, be in front of the camera. I got a big mouth, came out, but I talk from my heart. I'm real, you know what I'm saying, whatever comes. And so just to picture him sitting quietly on a beach in, you know, in Cuba. And, you know, if you know Tupac, you would know that 
he would not be capable of doing that for this long. But yeah, people just really want to believe that he's just, he's free. You know, that's, that's what they, that's what we want to believe is that he's not dead, but that he's free from everything, you know, from the system, from the capitalistic pursuit of money and success, and that he's just living peacefully. But unfortunately, yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee, with Sonia Bagat, Zaina Bader, Veronisa Campana, David Enders, Ashish Malhotra, Khaled Sultan, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>